down here. You stay right there. Well, grace, mercy, and peace to you from God our Father and from our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. Amen. We're continuing our walk through uh, the book, The Search for Significance, uh, by Robert McGee. And uh, I pray it's been a good series for you. It's been good for me. Uh, Just to review uh, God's truths, uh, restated in a a different way. We walked through the first chapter. And we said, because you've been created by God, you have value and worth. Because the most important being in the universe designed and created you. And intrinsically, because of that, you are valuable to God. We then continued. We said, because you're justified by God, you are completely forgiven and fully pleasing to God. You do not have to fear failure. So many times in our lives, we we base our our self-worth, our value in life by what we've accomplished. And for some of us, that creates pride. We look at what we've done, we said, oh, I'm doing pretty good. I I mean, I kind of need God, but not really, because I'm doing pretty well on my own. And that creates pride. And for others of us, us, we're on the other side, and we look at what we've done, or what we've done recently, and we've come to the conclusion that we don't measure up. That somehow we are worth less than others. And we wonder, does God really love us? Am I really valuable? And we said, no, because Jesus Christ died and rose for you and declares you to be righteous and holy. You have value and worth to others, to yourself, and to God. The following week, we talked about that you're, because you're reconciled to God. You're completely loved and accepted by God. You do not have to fear rejection. All of us do stuff because we have to, right? You're like, why do you take out the trash? Because, you know, I have to. I don't want to take out the trash. I'm not living to take out the trash. I have to do it. I don't live to change diapers, right? Well, it's just got to be done. It has to be done. Jesus' death on the cross for you is not like that. It wasn't like that. He died for you, and you are justified. But we're reconciled to God because he wanted to do it for you. You're his created, his beloved, and he loves you. Because of that, you have value and worth. We also learned just last week that because you've been redeemed by God, and the, uh, the Latin term is propitiation. Everybody say propitiation. Wow, you sound better than me. Well done. It's the, the, the teaching, the doctrine, the belief that God and Jesus Christ bought us back by his very own blood. You are blood bought. And the blood of Jesus covers over your sin and mine. Because deep down, we, we know that we're guilty. We know we're not perfect. We know we're not holy. And there's something wrong about that. When we look to the cross, we say, Jesus Christ has paid for me. I'm his. And no one can take that away from me. You've been redeemed by God. You don't have to fear punishment nor punishing others. And today we're going to talk about shame. Shame is at a deeper level than guilt. Guilt is, I feel bad because of what I've done. Shame is, I am bad because of what I've done or because of what others have done to me. And if you're wondering, gosh, do I, do I struggle with shame? Uh, here's some, 
some statements of shame that you may have said to yourself or thought deep down in your heart. You may think, I often think about past failures or experiences of rejection. I often think about them. There, there are certain things in my past that I cannot recall without experiencing strong, painful emotions, either guilt or shame or even anger or fear. I seem to make the same mistakes over and over and over again. I, I know what I'm doing wrong, and then I keep doing it over and over and over again. I'm not sure why. There are certain aspects of my character that I want to change. We're all in that boat. But I don't believe I can ever successfully do so. Some other statements here. We have, a, I feel inferior, like on a regular basis, to, to everyday normal people. I remember uh, some years ago, I was at Vail Valley Hospital, and uh, I saw uh, Alex Rodriguez. You guys know Alex Rodriguez? His third baseman for the New York Yankees was there. And he's doing rehab work. And he got into the elevator. And I was going to the elevator. And he had a bodyguard who was shushing people away. So they could not ride the elevator with Alex Rodriguez. But I was seeing someone in the hospital. And sometimes when I do that, I put on my clerical collar. I walk up. The guy's like, come on in, right? So I get in the elevator with Alex Rodriguez. I got to tell you, when you look at this guy... He looks like an athlete. The guy looks like a Greek god. I came up to his sh- below his shoulder. And he's just built perfectly proportioned. And I'm standing in the elevator and I felt inferior. And I almost said, dude, you are taking steroids. You're huge, man. But I didn't, I didn't go there. I should have, huh? But sometimes we feel like that all the time. We feel inferior. Sometimes um, uh, we have uh, aspects of my appearance that I, that I can't accept. I'm generally disgusted with myself. That's a hard one. I feel that certain, experience have, certain experiences in the past have basically ruined my life. And I perceive myself as an immoral person. I feel I've lost the opportunity to experience a complete and wonderful life. If you saw all those statements, you went, whoa, that, that hit home. And you know what shame feels like. And there are effects of shame. There's inferiority. There's habitually destructive behavior. If, if I believe I'm not, if I believe I'm bad, then I'll do stuff to punish myself. Um, self-pity I, stuff's happened to me and, it's, and I'm hopeless I can't change it I can't possibly change passivity so if, if uh, I can't change and if things are hopeless then I won't take risks in my career or with relationships I won't take risks I'll just kind of sit back and let life pass me by And along with that, isolation and withdrawal. There's also a loss of creativity. That if things feel hopeless, um, studies have proven that there's a part in your brain that just literally shuts down. When you are in a conflict situation, killing a conflict situation with yourself, 
and you feel hopeless, the part of your brain that shuts down is creativity. And it's hard to think of solutions to get out of that. And so it becomes a really bad cycle. If I things feel hopeless, the part of my brain that, that works on problem solving shuts down, and then I can't get myself out of it, it's a really bad cycle. And there's a loss of creativity. There's also an increase of codependent relationships. If I feel bad about myself, maybe I can fix that person, right? Because that person's really messed up. And so the person who feels bad about himself or herself will get in those relationships, a codependent relationship. And the problem is that people who have addictions are masters at manipulation. And they'll manipulate those codependent people and say, oh, the reason I'm, I'm doing this is because of you. You better fix something. It's a really bad cycle. And then despising our appearance. Those are effects of shame. And when that happens, not only do we feel guilt from the outside, we experience shame on the inside. Shame is like guilt personified. The guilty person thinks, I feel bad. The person experiencing shame thinks, I am bad. And last week we talked about healthy guilt and unhealthy guilt. And healthy guilt is, I've done something wrong. I take it to my Savior. I confess my sin. I receive God's forgiveness. I am his beloved child, holy, declared righteous by God. Unhealthy guilt is when you do that and you still feel guilty. And shame is when you do that and you still feel as if you are bad. Do you know what Satan means in Hebrew? Satan. It means the one, the accuser, the accusing one. When you are experiencing unhealthy guilt, when you are experiencing shame, you are undergoing spiritual attack. You are in a spiritual battle, a spiritual warfare. And we are created body, mind, and soul. And depression, guilt, shame, it's not a medical problem, although it has medical parts to it. It's a human problem. It involves our body, our minds, our hearts, and our souls. And so I want to ask you this. Who is more powerful? Who is more powerful? The one accusing you? Or the one who has created you? Died for you? Rose for you? And loves you? Who is more powerful? What is more powerful? Your sin? The sin done against you? Or God's power in your life to overcome sin? What's more powerful? Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior. My prayer is your Lord and Savior. Died and rose for you and conquered death because he is more powerful and he loves you. And there's nothing we can think, say, or do that will make God love you less. 
There's nothing. Can God who created and designed you make a difference in your life? See, here's, here's spiritual math. I was really bad at math. My twin brother's a math teacher. He got all the math genes. I got zero of them. I, uh, my daughter is asking me to help her with her homework in sixth grade. And I'm like, oh, honey, you are on your own. Because I know I took it, but I don't remember it, right? I'm really bad at math. But spiritual math, I can do. This is spiritual math. Oh, Self-worth. Self-worth is a process. It's a mathematical formula. Self-worth equals creation. You are created by God. And by definition, that means you have worth. But also this. Self-worth equals creation plus justification. You are created and declared righteous by God. And that gives you worth. Self-worth is creation plus justification plus reconciliation. God loves you. He didn't just do it because he had to do it. He didn't just do it because the, you know, the world was a little stinky and it had to be taken out. He did it because he loves you. Self-worth is creation plus justification plus reconciliation plus propitiation. The blood of Christ covers over your sin and mine. And he is sufficient. He is sufficient to take away all of our guilt. He is sufficient to remove all of our shame. He is sufficient. Self-worth is creation plus justification plus reconciliation plus propitiation plus regeneration. God declares you righteous, really loves you, has paid for your sin completely, and can renew you into a new creation. Church, do you believe that? Do you believe it? Do you believe that the power of the Holy Spirit in your life can make you a new creation? Some of you are going, no, I don't think so. So let me tell you what regeneration is not. Regeneration is not trying harder. We've all done that, right? I got this, I got this in my life. I'm going to try harder to fix it. I'm just going to be, I'm going to be more disciplined. I'm going to put on the self-help tapes. I'm getting up a half hour earlier every day, and I'm sticking to it, right? I'm going to do this. I'm going to conquer it. I'm going to read more self-help books. I'm going to do it. And a week later, you're like, yeah, I failed. Obviously, I can't do it. Regeneration is not trying harder. Regeneration is not instant. There are some Bible teachers out there who will tell you that once you become a follower of Jesus, that your life changes instantly. And that's just not true. It's not. How many of you went from kindergarten to uh, college? Yeah, me either. And God walks us through that process. And the journey you're on right now is God's journey of growth for you. And he's walking with you through that process. And your journey's not my journey. My journey's not your journey. We're all in different places on the journey. And if you're going with God, it's all good. It's all good. We're all at different places for different reasons. It's not instant. It's a process. And three, it's not perfect and complete in this life. 
just isn't. Many, many years ago, I was at this church, and the pastor stood up and was preaching a sermon. He was preaching about, you know, following Jesus. And he said, I haven't sinned in the past two weeks. He said that out loud. I'm thinking, dude, you just did. There's a thing called pride. It's not good. You just walked into it. You're knee deep in it, buddy. It's not perfect and complete. And if you think to yourself, boy, I'm not the way I want to be. Well, yeah, that's all right. Of course not. It's not instant. It's not perfect and complete. But God is working in you. So what is regeneration? Regeneration is resting in the grace of God. It's not trying harder. It's resting in God's love for you. I was talking to Kirsty Eckert this morning. I ran into him at City Market getting the donuts. I said, Kirsty, how you doing? And she goes, it's Wild West days. And I'm doing the ponies. So, so all day long, she's going to be lifting up, deadlifting kids up onto these ponies, right? She goes, last year, this kid came up. He had to be 120 pounds. <laughs> I'm like, can't you ride the horses? He's like, no, I want the ponies. <laughs> she's like, I'm not doing good. When she gets home tonight, she's going to fall on her bed. And she's going to rest. You ever do that after a hard day's work? A hard day of work. You've been working your tail off. Your back is sore. Your feet are sore. Your, your hands, everything's tight and sore. And you fall into bed and you're like, that's resting in the grace of God. Resting in what God has done for you. That's good rest. Regeneration is remembering your identity as a child of God. I'll never forget I was, uh, I was 15 years old, and I was working construction for a summer job. And I was, uh, I was um, we had to dig these uh, communication ditches you know, for telephone lines or whatever, and, and the, the dirt was so hard, the guy's backhoe broke. So he gives me a pickaxe and says, go to it, kid. I'm like, oh, my goodness. So I'm pickaxing this hard ground all day long in the summer heat in Southern California. And this guy walks up to me. He says, dude, you're working too hard. He's a subcontractor on the site. He says, you're working too hard. Come home. Come work with me. We go to the job. We go to my office. We smoke pot. And then we go out to the job site. It's cool. You should join our, our team. And I remember thinking, that's not me. It's not who I am. I, I, I am a hard worker. And, and uh, that's, that's not me. That's not my identity. See, regeneration is simply remembering who and whose you are. I'm a child of God. You're a child of God. You're a child of the king. Blood bought. It's remembering. It's residing in the power of the Holy Spirit. God promises to do his work. Ephesians chapter 2 says, For it's by grace you've been saved through faith. And this is not from yourselves. It is a gift of God. You've been saved by grace. It is a free gift. You don't have to do anything to earn it. You can't do anything to earn it. It's just God's gift to you. You receive it. You rest in it. And then he says, 
For we are God's workmanship, created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in advance for you to do. When you reside in the power of the Holy Spirit, now you're living your life in such a way that you are open to God's working, to God's nudge, to God's direction, his counsel, his leading in your life. And there are times in your life when God's saying, go here, serve this person, minister to that person, say no to this person, back away out of this situation. The Holy Spirit's doing that work in your life. And then you're rehearsing your role in the kingdom of God. How many of you like to act? Maybe you like to do dramas and, you know, growing up or anything like that, right? You, you, you put on a role. You, you put on a character. And that character's not you. But the longer you play that character, the more the character becomes you. When I was a senior in high school, I was in the play The Taming of the Shrew, Right? By the end of my senior year, I was speaking in iambic pentameter, just naturally. Just, how, how, how dost thou, baby? You know? <laughs> so uh, it becomes you. There are times in your life where God's saying, love this person. And you're like, I don't want to. No, 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 I don't want to. And God's saying, I've called you to love this person. And so you act as if you do. Sometimes when it's hard to be a child of God, you just act like you are. And over time, that becomes you. It's really hard to hate someone if you're doing things to help that person. It's really hard to hate that guy, that gal. Rehearse your role in the kingdom of God. In his great book, Till We Have Faces, C.S. Lewis writes about uh, a queen. And she is, her heart is like her face. She is, she's ugly and bitter and mean. And so she decides to put a veil over her face and she serves as queen and she serves and she sacrifices and she leads and she, she works herself to the bone. And by the end of the story, she lifts up her veil and she is beautiful because her face now matches her heart. Till we have faces. See, God is working in your life. And some of us think that God works in our life kind of like a remodel project. You know, he's kind of taking out this room here and, and building a new uh, new upgraded bathroom over here. And he's kind of like kind of tinkering around. It's not how God works in your life. When God works in your life, he destroys the whole structure And builds up a whole new one. Because he intends to live there. You are his. You are the Lord's. You have value and worth. Because of God's love for you. His creation of you. His justification of you. His propitiation of you. And he is working in you. To be his people. Not because you have to. But because we are children of God. His beloved. And that's our identity. Amen.
May the peace of Christ, which passes all understanding, guard your heart and your mind. In Christ Jesus our Lord, for life everlasting.